welcome to a movie and an argument with Swin and Alyssa. I'm Alyssa Rosenberg, the culture critic at Think Progress, and I'm here today with... Aswin Subsang. I'm the interactive writing fellow at Mother Jones Magazine's DC Bureau, and I'm also their movie guy. Alyssa, thanks so much for being with us here again. It's so good to see you every week. It is. It's lovely. Um, and it, this is a very special week since we are celebrating both of our birthdays. So we'll make it convenient for readers or listeners. You know, you can ship bottles of whiskey care of the Mother Jones office and, uh, <laughs> you know, keep our strength up. Or the Think Progress office. It's true, but our microphones are here, so this way we don't have to carry the whiskey to the microphones. That's true. true. We'll skateboard the whiskey back and forth. Well, but but since we have no whiskey, (laughs) um, we should start this week talking about something that's almost as excellent as brown liquor, um, if not quite. uh, The Marvelous Anna Kendrick, who you saw this week in Pitch Perfect. I did. Mm -hmm. And uh, just to give listeners a refresher, Anna Kendrick, she is, I think you and I can agree, one of the up-and-coming actresses right now who really is worth watching. I think the first thing I saw her in was years ago in Camp as, like, the mean girl singer. Mm-hmm. Camp was, this, like, this movie that kind of has this cult following that I hated. It's kind of like Glee before there was Glee. Yeah. And she, from her turn in Up in the Air to her, even her, like, small stints in the Twilight movies, which obviously are pretty disposable otherwise, she just has this flair to her, this charisma, this... But she also feels like a real girl, right? I mean, she's cute rather than beautiful. Like, she has that sort of small mouth, pointed chin. You know, she she has a very sort of sweet, almost sort of Clara Bow, old-fashioned look about her. Um, And one of the reasons that she is so good, either in something like Up in the Air or like Twilight, is that... She's she is a plausible person you would hang out with, right? You can totally see her as Bella Swan's sort of hard-charging best friend who, shocker of shockers, is going to do things other than get married at 18 and get knocked up by a vampire mm-hmm. and is actually going to go to college and change the world. I have this fantasy of, like, Bella and her best friend, a.k.a. Anna Kendrick, hanging out when they're 30. And Bella's like, I'm sort of bored and depressed. And Edward and I are in vampire marriage counseling. And her friend's like, I don't know about you, but I have to go run, like, Barbara Boxer's legislation department. I'm just so busy. Like, <laughs> Bella, let's have coffee next time you're in town. I just, I, I adore her. I you you need great. to pitch all these movies. They'll probably go nowhere, but all for all the right reasons. Maybe we can nowhere. start a, like, rejected pitches from Alyssa <laughs> Tumblr. I think that's the more sort of viable uh, way to go. But tell me tell me about her character in Pitch Perfect, which is about a college acapella group. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Okay. Well, it's also about self-discovery and singing, like, <laughs> mashups of Bruno Mars and Nelly. I mean, it, it has a lot of. Players. It's true. Singing mashups of Nelly was an integral part of my self-discovery <laughs> process in college. Well, anyway, uh, Pitch Perfect. Um, it's this new movie out from Universal Pictures. That if you've seen any trailers for it, it's I think pretty shittily advertised. In and by that I mean it'll probably work. I mean they take the worst dialogue in the movie and compress it into like one two minute trailer. And I they, will I will admit that one thing that turned me off from the movie was its advertising, which kicked off with a joke that basically implied that sexual assault on college campuses is like hilarious and not something to worry about at all. Um mm-hmm. which I thought was sort of strange. So oh it's it's I will admit the advertising kind of yeah, did yeah, me in exactly. as a potential they, viewer. They take the there are a lot of dumb jokes in the movie, but it takes like the theatrical trailer takes the dumbest joke, most disposable joke in the movie, where Anna Kendrick's character just gets to college and, like, the girl greeting her says, here's your rape whistle, only blow it if it's actually happening. And 
uh, forget about like if you think it's offensive or not. It's just it's, bad. It's not a good joke. Yeah, it's yeah. just not funny. Why is it there? But anyway, the movie, it's a movie I walked into expecting to hate. It's about an all-female a cappella group at a fictional college that's trying to reclaim its throne or its mantle as like the go-to a cappella group from the all-guy a cappella group at this fictional college. And it never rises being above a little bit dumb. It's pure formula. It's basically bring it on for a cappella groups in college. But I guarantee you that was the one-line pitch. Yeah, when exactly. They went into yeah, sold. It's bring it on, but like Glee. <laughs> and it's, yeah, exactly. It's geared towards the Glee or the post-Glee crowd. So basically, it's all these, like, if somebody were pitching this to me or say, you, you gotta see this movie, it's great, and describing it this way, I'd, I'd immediately shut down and be like, why would I ever want to see this? It was the one of the most pleasant surprises I've had in the last, like, three or four months of the movies. I thought it was electric. It was fun. The leads in Anna Kendrick, Brittany Snow, Anna Camp, Rebel Wilson. They were funny, vibrant, and very talented singers. It wasn't just like these passable Hollywood actors who were, you know, singing in a movie. They they actually have pipes to them. I like Brittany Snow a lot. I mean, she and Ashley Tisdale actually feel fairly similar to me. They're very mm-hmm. pretty girls who, you know, have kind of been hamstrung a little bit by that prettiness and are starting to break out um, by playing a little bit unpleasant. And they certainly were, you know, the vehicles that got them national attention were kind of hard-edged, right? Like Ashley Tisdale is sort of the rich bitch villain in Mm. the high school musical movies, uh, of which I've only seen one, to be totally clear. (laughs) Only one, and then late night on TV, and there may have been some wine. Disclaimer. (laughs) Um, and then uh, Brittany Snow played the sort of mean girl um, in uh, Hairspray, which, and I will say this with absolutely no shame, I saw three times in theaters and I thought it was an awesome adaptation. Um, I saw it four, but... Whoa, throwing not down Not even kidding. Me. Yeah, ma- throwing down. Can we just talk, I mean, you know what, this should be another podcast, but... The greatness of that musical adaptation should not be underestimated. No, and it's part of what made me disappointed that Rock of Ages was so terrible because Adam Shankman, same director. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, John Travolta is so good. Um, I thought, I mean, it's one of those movies that sort of is part of James Marsden re- uh, reinventing himself. So many good things about it. But yeah, and now, um, so Tisdale is on Sons of Anarchy this season playing a sort of... Uh, snarky prostitute named emma jean um who appears to be in mortal danger as of this most recent episode and then um you have britney snow who sort of did the horror thing and now she's doing this and you know i kind of hope she breaks out she's a lot of fun mm-hmm. and blake lively is kind of going down that route too i think at least somewhat successfully like she's but she's still like the hot ingenue right i mean yeah, none, of, none of her but... roles none of her roles have any like snark or meanness or personality well, her role, her supporting role in the the town. I thought I'm not sure if she was mean. She was a bad person. She was a pathetic character. Sure, but she's always. I mean, she's the she's a little bit of a pretty girl on a pedestal. Yeah, that's true. I mean, even savages when she's like beaten and kidnapped by Benicio del Toro. Right, well, she's... and the thing is, those are things that are done to her, not that she does or that sort of stem. Yeah from her yeah let's just get a shotgun in her hands let's domino her yeah exactly and i think you know this actually gets at something i've been thinking about recently which is there is a sort of a group of actresses around our age i'm the old lady in the bunch so i can be the uh the outer 
version of this spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a lot of actresses our age who aren't that interesting. We've sort of hit a lacuna. There are a number of women in their 30s doing really interesting work. And I think we've got a bunch of really interesting young actresses coming up. Sorcy Ronan, Abigail Breslin, Chloe Grace Moritz, um, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, all these people who have done sort of really, you know, Haley Steinfeld. These women who are doing really interesting. Selena Gomez. Hey, don't try and trick me with I, lists. Okay, okay. Selena Gomez <laughs> does not count. Um, but there's, you know... Kendrick, I think, stands out because there's this sort of dearth of interesting, you know, actresses who are around our age. And I think that's one of the reasons I, you know, enjoy watching her so much. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's she really is um, what do they call it? Triple threat. Like, really, I I hate to use that term because it seems so silly, but she really is multi-talented in a genuinely impressive way. Like she has a very good range as an actress in like a variety of her indie fair and her Hollywood fair. And in pitch perfect, she, she demonstrated this a little bit in camp a few years ago, but she can really sing. Like she has a set of pipes and she can rap. She like sings no diggity during the riff off scene in pitch perfect. And it doesn't (laughs) feel stupid. She sells it. She's singing no diggity. She's rapping and it's, it's fucking fantastic. And more about why not just she in the movie but this yeah. movie is so good the music even music i do not like the an acapella algor acapella which i like even less they make it they make you want to tap your toe when you're watching this movie i mean you guys see it your your birthday is on friday you should treat yourself midday treat take some time off of work in the parlance of parks and recreation well maybe i should go yeah, I mean, this is a research project. I, I think yeah, I could absolutely. take the afternoon like, off to see this. The movie, what? the movie that I'm planning to do that, though, that with though, which I think they're not screening, is um, uh, here comes here comes the boom, the new like heroic teacher takes oh. up extreme fighting to save his school. I feel like the world is crying out for my review of that and won't back down. The you know absolutely. What and. Kevin James's new movie, that's yes. Here Comes Boom, right? Yes. But I have if, no pride. If uh, Neither do I. That's why we like each other so much. It's true. Partners in degradation. It's very sad. But if you... When, not if, when you get around to seeing Pitch Perfect, there's a lot of good mashups and like medleys in it. Maybe but we should just go this weekend. Out, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll bring everybody to it. I, it this, this will probably be a hit anyway, but I want to get across how much i support people seeing this um there's a mashup of nelly and bruno mars towards the end that's really good and again it's just girls acapella clapping and like sing making music with just their mouths as they say in the movie <laughs> and it, it seems weird that i'm geeking out a little bit over this movie because i really expected to hate it but the music and dance sequences are flashy and fun it's let me put it this way I didn't really like the master. I thought Battleship was spectacular. I hated the Hunger Games, and I loved Pitch Perfect. This has been the like some of the weirdest series of months so I've th- ever had at the this movies. This is the this is the Swin approval matrix. It's no, that's the thing. Patience quashing era at the movies. Well, I don't know what to think anymore. Are you going to Argo on Monday? I assume, Absolutely I going assume, Argo. I'm hoping that that will be the movie that finally lives up to expectations for me. Argo is be, the Ben Affleck-directed movie about um, a sort of subplot of the Iran hostage crisis where 
um, the CIA decided to smuggle a number of hostages who had sneaked off to the Canadian embassy in Iran mm-hmm. um, by pretending they were a fake movie crew for a fake movie called Argo, a um, crazy science fiction drama. So uh, it's supposed to be Oscar bait. Um, I've loved Ben Affleck as a director. Same. Fingers crossed. The town, gone baby gone. And it's... I, I was so relieved when I saw the trailer because I, I heard Ben Affleck is directing starring in an Iran hostage crisis movie. I was like, oh, I'm, gl- I'm glad they're making an Iran hostage crisis movie. But okay, why, that, why is it that. a Ben Affleck joint? You know? Well, it wasn't even that. It was just that, oh, that, that sounds nice. But then when I heard it was a subplot about like sneaky, not the people weird. in the embassy. I mean, you have like, you know, um, Alan Arkin and um, – John Goodman is, you know, sort of Hollywood producers. I think mm. it's going to be, I think it'll be fun. My fingers are crossed. It, it's so much more interesting than doing a straight around oh, hostage yeah, yeah. crisis movie because they've done that and they made it for TV based on that book about like uh, the failed Jimmy Carter approved yes. like helicopter mission. But uh, the, this just has so much more kick to it because I, I hadn't even heard about this story until I saw the trailer for the movie. Had you? I mean, it's, um, I feel like are... I'd read a magazine article about mm-hmm. it but years ago. And so and so I'm looking forward to it. Speaking of fun things, uh, you went to see Taken 2 or Tooken or The Retakening. Release uh, the Taken. <laughs> I think Release the Taken has to be the maybe that's the third movie. If they make it to third movie. When you say speaking of fun things, I you didn't see the movie. This is not one, in other words? Um, well, let me first preface this by asking, did you see the first Taken? No. Um, I, you know, I was promised that Liam Neeson would punch a wolf in the gray, and since that has not happened, I'm sort of on <laughs> Liam Neeson boycott. Oh. You know, when the man decided... You're, you're coming out strong for wolf punching? Yes. I'm a, I'm a big advocate of wolf punching. Ugh. Not of shooting them from planes. I think that's wrong. I think if you want to kill a wolf, it should be in hand-to-hand combat. That's fair. I respect that. I, I absolutely know, respect that. That's actual manliness. Totally. But uh, when uh, Liam Neeson the... gives me wolf punching, I'll go back to one of his movies. Okay, deal. Well, you did see The, the Dark Knight Rises. That's true. You're I okay did. with cameos. There's a cameo Cameo. Loophole. There's a cameo loophole. Mm-hmm. But... Well, anyways, first taken. I, I just assume everybody's seen it. Um, came out in 2009. I thought it was a really good like slam-bang action movie where Liam Neeson is just being Liam Neeson yeah. for an hour and a half. He's badass. And I really liked it, especially like the unrated cut that you got on DVD, because it's significantly more violent than the theatrical cut in the U.S., which is comparatively lame, unfortunately. Um, And I was as disappointed as I'm sure a lot of other fellow critics and moviegoers who have seen or are going to see Taken 2. It's bland. I I mean, the bland part isn't the main objection. There's like... (laughs) <laughs> two, there's like two or three action sequences that's it there's nothing flashy or cool about them like all of like the dozens of like killing sequences that were in the first one the it it feels like it lasts for like 40 minutes it's just like, but it's really just 90 minutes of perpetual anti-climax and the way people are acting or moving less acting but more moving the way like fam fam Je- uh jansen fam, Liam, jansen yeah uh, Liam Neeson and Raid Shabergia, who plays like the annoying Albanian villain in the movie, it, they all are acting like they're shooting this movie during like coffee breaks while they're on set for better <laughs> movies. Like nobody is invested in this, and which is just wrong. If you make a sequel to the first Taken, 
forget about plot, forget about character development, just make it the exact same as the other movie, but set in a different spot and people will be happy well and that's i mean that's one of the things about these movies is i think people sort of thought with neeson doing a bunch of action stuff that we were maybe going to be at a place you know combined with him and jason statham where we'd have this rise of sort of ludicrous you know violent slam bang action movies and in a weird way this makes me hearing you talk about this makes me miss something like the remake of rollerball which is like an objectively terrible movie but one that i love very very dearly it's kind of a juicy b movie right you know and we don't have i feel like our b movies are anxious about being ridiculous in a way that's unfortunate i mean something like that or the movie adaptation of starship troopers or you know, they had scenarios that were basically excuses for ludicrousness and and then a lot of, you know, sort of exciting, energetic violence. And, you know, look, it's I think it's fine to ask sort of moral questions about violence in movies or whatever. But if if what you want to do is make, you know, sort of violent, exciting action movies, just make those movies. Don't yeah. be ashamed about them. Don't, right. you know, just sort of go for it. Yeah, I, but the movies you were describing were embracing their silliness. There exactly. Is, That's there's sort of no silliness, silliness in Taken 2. Right. The problem is, I mean, I don't want to sound bloodlusty here by saying, oh, there wasn't enough carnage. I know there was a PG-13 movie, but it wasn't that there wasn't enough killing blood or carnage. It's just that there wasn't really, there wasn't much action yeah. in the movie. It, it's mind-blowing. How do you make a sequel to the awesome action-filled Taken yeah. and give this one just like, oh, maybe a couple of action sequences when nothing happens? Well, and isn't that one of the interesting things about, about Neeson as an action actor, right? I mean, Jason Statham exists to inflict violence on things. Mm. Like, that is what he does. He's, you know... I mean, and that's why the tran- the Transporter movies are so much fun, is that they're sort of light on plot and heavy on creative mayhem. And... You know, Statham, I don't think, has a lot of sort of pride or compunction about that. You know, that's what he is. He's good at that. It's fun. Whereas with um, Neeson, there's still this facade of serious actor hanging around him. Well, because he is. He's such a good actor. Right. And so I think he can't sort of let go and fly off fully Mm. into silliness. Right. Unless he's on, like, during his cameo on, like, extras with Ricky Gervais. Exactly. Which is... Still one of the best things ever, if it you It is ask very me. funny. But, I don't know, j- just to get off it, because I don't think this is worth that much <laughs> more time, but if they're going to make a Taken 3, for the love of God, get another director and writer to just fill it with, like, blood-modeled fun. I mean, don't... Yeah. I, I don't know what they were thinking here. It's like everybody fell asleep or was coming off or of get, the dilated yeah, I mean, high get, and decided to make this movie. Or get someone like F. Gary Gray, who did a really good job with the Italian job remake. Mm. Or The Negotiator. What's yeah. That? Exactly. I mean, there are there are options here. Um, and did you like VHS, which I know was another movie? I skipped it at Sundance because uh, I'm a huge wuss about horror movies. Yeah, you were. It, it, tell me, is it the gore or is it the people popping out from behind dark corners? That um, it's a combination them? of both. Mm-hmm. Um, we also, one of the least pleasant trends on uh, in pop culture this fall is people getting stabbed in the eye, which is apparently a big thing. Um, and so I have like I have a number of very specific phobias. Mm-hmm that horror movies have a decent chance of triggering. I can do sort of funny horror. Like, I really like Drag Me to Hell. Oh, um, Which it. is the... I'm a grown-ass woman, and it's the only horror movie I've ever seen in a theater. Um, but I like that movie, right? I mean, it's a movie about how you shouldn't foreclose on a gypsy in the midst of a housing crisis. <laughs> yes, that... I, I wouldn't do that. No, I mean... Wouldn't you risk know. it. 
clearly. But um, yeah, I can't do like sort of violent, scary stuff. Mm-hmm. Even even Kevin in the Woods, which I loved, which was was a little bit too much for me. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, uh, VHS, it's this like indie um, anthology horror flick. It's like six sh- vignettes or short movies in one. Um, the, and the conceit is these uh, this crew of really bad people, these, you know, petty criminals are paid to break into the house and find a tape. And the guy says, you will know the tape when you see it. So they're looking through all these VHS tapes. And the conceit is they put in a tape and it plays the story. And the arc is the story that's going on of them, like, trying to rob this house. And there just happens to be a dead body in the middle of this house that they're ransacking that may or may not be a zombie. But anyway. Um... <laughs> And it's, you know, it's it's nothing special. A couple of the stories, one of which involves a succubus, is particularly good. But I just wish they took maybe one or two of the stories and made a whole movie out of it. Um, last thing I'll say about it, because uh, I can't bring myself to say much more, is that for those of us old enough or slightly old enough, like I am, to remember what VHS was <laughs> and watching videotapes at home and having to rewind it and the grainy streams across even the new tapes, we'll get a laugh out of it because you'll be wondering through a lot of this movie, why is some of this on VHS? Like one of them, one of the vignettes, which is kind of an interesting conceit, is that it's a Skype convo uh, okay. for like the whole time. Yeah. Why is that on a VHS tape? tape yeah. Like, it's, it boggles the mind. But again, if, if you remember watching Disney movies when you were a kid on videotapes, it'll be good for nostalgia for about five minutes. Whether or not that's worth $10 and more for popcorn and theater ticket, I don't know. Seems unlikely. Seems unlikely. But were things any better on TV this week? I hear uh, the Mindy Project premiered on uh, Fox, right? Last week. And oh, right, so right. I'd, you know, I'd seen the first episode of The Mindy Project over the summer. And I should preface all of this by saying that The Mindy Project was absolutely one of the shows for which I had highest expectations this fall. Um, Mindy Kaling, who was previously a writer on The Office and acted there as the character Kelly Kapoor, who was very funny, um, developed the show, which is based partially on her mother's experiences as an OBGYN, uh, as part of NBC's Diversity Writers Project, they passed on the show and ultimately sold it to Fox. And it hasn't been doing that well. It pulled in about three and a quarter million, three and three quarters million viewers last night in its second outing. Um, and I, I really wanted to love it, right? I mean, it's a show created by a woman of color about women's health to a certain extent. You know, it was also supposed to be this meditation on romantic comedies and... I'm struggling with this, but I don't like it. Um, it's And it strikes me that it has this very specific problem, which is we've been conditioned to like sort of two kinds of characters on television. Um, sort of anti-heroes and people who are often sort of amusingly selfish or socially awkward. And Mindy strikes me, the character, not Ms. Kaling herself, strikes me as sort of steering an awkward course between those two things without being willing to commit to either. Um, you know, she's maybe sort of an anti-hero, um, except that she's not really very good at her job or mm-hmm. at interactions with people. And her sort of awkwardness and selling out and compromises don't really have any of the heft of someone like Liz Lemon on 30 Rock. Um, and 
I can't tell with something like Girls, where it was always very clear to me, if not to you. Um, we'll that, get into that when season two premieres. Um, we have time. It, where it was always very clear to me that the show, Hannah felt one way about herself. She, you know, was sort of narcissistic and self-absorbed and blew up her problems. And the show saw her problems for the small things that they were. They saw her lack of success as a result of her failure to get it together. There was just this very clear delineation between the character's self-perception and how the show wanted you to see her. But both of them were just extremely clear. With the Mindy Project, I don't know if I'm supposed to like a doctor who gets drunk, falls in a pool, misses delivering a baby, and then gets angry at her partner in her OBGYN practice when the woman asks for him to be her regular doctor. Um, You know, a girl who goes on a date with a guy and makes him buy her five different kinds of frozen yogurt because she decides that none of them taste good doesn't actually really seem winning or cute or specific in an interesting way to me. She just kind of seems like a dick. Um, And, you know, without anything to really grasp onto, it's hard for me to feel connected to the show in any way. And that's, Mm -hmm. I mean, this was a show that I thought was really going to speak to me. And it's it's not. I feel a little lost about it. And it's uh, it's hard to be disappointed like that. You know, you want yeah. you want the things that you like to be good. It's much better to be surprised with Pitch Perfect than to be let down on something in which you invested high hopes. Well, let's wait until all my guy friends keep giving me shit for how much I like Pitch Perfect. You know, then we'll see. Being a man better. is standing up for your tastes. Being a man is hard. Let, uh, me, let, let me let me explain let, that. Let's talk about the plight of men you. in America, Swin. <laughs> Please tell me all about the plight of men in America. Please. I mean that. Next podcast. Next <laughs> podcast. Uh, back to the Mindy project, which will get significantly fewer chairs thrown at me. Um, yeah, I, what, what did you the, think of the pilot? Well, I was underwhelmed by it. I wasn't as heartbroken as you were, or, or I wasn't heartbroken at all because I wasn't expecting to fall in love with it. I'm kind of an office loyalist. I kind of wish she stuck with it until the ship went down completely. It's a it's and kind of foundering on a reef. It's you know it is it is it's but taken not, on water. not dead yet. True. Uh, there's still time for an October surprise. <laughs> and I just I don't know. Uh, sitcoms are hard to get brilliant the first episode or or, yeah. or the pilot or I even mean, the first five or six episodes. Yeah, yeah. There's there's plenty of time for growth it's one of those things we'll have to wait and see i really have no idea yet about the mindy yeah show it's a it's hard to know i mean comedy i think is a much harder thing to do than drama because drama re- drama relies much more on plot mm-hmm. than it than comedy does so you know procedurals are easy right there's a dead body the detectives think one person killed the former person who's now a dead body it turns out someone else killed the dead body. Like mm. sitcoms, it's these people are together and is there alchemy or not? And that's hard. You know, I almost think that shows should make five or six episodes and like throw them all out and then start once they have that mm-hmm. dynamic down. Although that is not how the television development process works. Someday when I'm queen of everything and have all the money. Queen, Think- you're going to get rid of democracy. You're not going to be president of everything. No, I'll be queen. But I'll, I mean... It'll you'll be, be like, a benevolent queen of everything. Right, it'll be like in England. I'll have a prime minister. You'll you'll let me make my stupid piranha movies. Though? Yes. Okay. Brilliant. Okay. Be, well, good. Yeah, there will. The, you can be the the chancellor of the exchequer for piranha movie development. Fantastic. And 
Uh, speaking of piranhas, um, <laughs> best seg ever. It, speaking of piranhas, it is Wednesday, October third, two thousand twelve, which means first presidential debate between Barack Obama and Mitt Romney tonight. Oh Lord! Uh, we have a little bit uh, less than three hours until that kicks off. Are you go- are you looking forward to hate watching it? It, it? This is an entertainment podcast. It doesn't get much more entertaining than this. Oh, trust me. Well, I have to say that Schmidt's uh, impersonation of a long-lost Romney son on The New Girl last night was, I think, probably going to be more amusing than the debates. Maybe I'll score the whole thing on whether Schmidt is funnier or not. Mm -hmm. The answer will mostly be that Schmidt is funnier. Because Max Max Greenfield is awesome. You mean funnier than Mitt Romney? Than Mitt Romney's zingers. Oh, okay. Okay, let's not even get into that. That's Zinger. just my head explode. Stop saying that word. Zingers. Zingers. No, stop it. Stop it, please. Zingers. It's an experiment. <laughs> oh, God. But, yeah, it's going to be f- uh, fun. I, I don't know. It's going to be... I just want to see how quickly Romney gets angry and starts to vibrate. Because whatever he does to his hair makes it very rigid. And he gets red and sort of, like, his arms get close to his body and he gets... He vibrates. I mean, I think he gets there's... Mad. I think there's a very good chance that no matter what happens tonight, Romney is going to, quote unquote, win the debate in the eyes of the media because the expectations game, which has been so pathetic for the last few weeks, they've been set so low for both, but particularly Romney. Like, So if, a, he, if he doesn't set a welfare recipient of color on fire, he wins. Correct. If he doesn't, like, trip and, like, bring the podium with him, he wins. Like, there was a press release or something from the Romney campaign, or a quote, just like an hour or two ago, saying that... Um, the trains were too loud by the hotel, so Governor Romney didn't get any sleep last night. Wait, seriously? Yeah, you, you didn't see? It's a real thing. Uh, this was actually something they floated out to the press. I, it might have been to BuzzFeed or somewhere. They might as well have come out and said, for the last month in all this spare time, Governor Romney has been hiking the, the Appalachian, Appalachian Trail, <laughs> and he's very tired. What has Barack Obama been doing? Has not been hiking the Appalachian I mean, Trail. It's, like, that's, I mean, that's literally a step between, you know... It turns out there were bedbugs or, you know, the governor has been tormented by evil gnomes. Exactly. Joe Biden wouldn't leave Barack Obama alone while I was trying to go over his domestic policy notes. How, how could he win this debate? Governor Joe Romney's going to win. <laughs> Joe Biden just wants to drink brewskis with everyone. Can I say, though, I will not be hate watching the vice presidential debates, if only because watching smiling Joe Biden take Paul Ryan to church is going to be hilarious. Explain. One. Oh, come on. I mean, Joe Biden has forgotten more about how to get things done in Congress than Paul Ryan has ever even dreamt of his, dreamt of in his philosophy. And so watching him just essentially like flash that ginormous like. I am your Irish uncle and all will be well grin every time Ryan tries to appear smart is going to be really wonderful. You're talking like a flaming liberal right now. I don't I, I don't know what to think anymore, Alyssa. I, wait, is there something you're not telling me? This changes. Well, I have to I have to go home tonight and write my entry in the slate. Who are we voting for? So I, I will have to. <laughs> Uh, so I will have to come clean about the fact that I am, in fact, a dirty hippie who will be bur- voting for Barack Obama. You heard, you heard it. it here first. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still writing in Clint Eastwood. Okay. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> and on that note, Alyssa, thank you so much for coming over. It's, almost, it's always so much fun when you come here. One of these days we actually got to get some beer or bourbon in here while we're Clearly, doing this. or we should do a live podcast. Readers, we will tell you how to donate to make that happen. Maybe. I hope you're serious about that. I'm writing that down right now to we remind you. We should totally you. do it. All Absolutely. right. And on that note, happy birthday, Swin. And Thank we, you so much. We'll talk soon.
Have a good one.